Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Will Purdue. We'll be talking about Vanderbilt's win over Northern Illinois and look ahead some to the game with Alabama. Will appears on the guest line. That's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Our news is presented by Stakes. There's some big games coming up in the SEC this week. To add some excitement to that, we went ahead and made some predictions in the Stakes app. That's S-T-A-K-E-S. We want to hear from you guys if you agree or disagree with our predictions. So go to playwithstakes.com com forward slash 14 sign up for stakes place your prediction so if you're with us or against us let us know use the invite code southeastern 14 when you sign up you'll get a double welcome bonus stakes is a fun app and it's entirely free now on to our interview with will purdue will purdue joins us as he does most weeks of course you know will as one of the all-time greats uh, Vanderbilt basketball. He, of course, acutely keeps his fingers on the pulse of Vanderbilt sports. Will, thanks for joining us today. Well, Chris, I appreciate you having me. And it's, it's always good to do a podcast after a win, isn't it? Yeah, and, and three of them now in four games, which is two more than Vanderbilt won, or excuse me, one more than it won the previous two years combined. <laughs> And I will continue to make this statement that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I do feel like that Vanderbilt will win an SEC game this year. I know that we are all targeting either Missouri or South Carolina, but maybe there's another surprise there. But if we happen to do that, that's one more than they've won in the last two years, is it not? That is correct. There's a 21-game SEC losing streak. The last time Vanderbilt won an SEC game was that crazy game against Missouri here um, where Mohassan had his shining moment of glory uh, and was never heard from again. (laughs) Well, the good thing is I brought that up. I've now tripled down. I think I've mentioned that in almost every podcast that I do feel like that that Clark and this team will get – an SEC win this year, and I'm going to stick by that. Even more so now, quite honestly, that from what we've seen from A.J. Swan in, in you know the last game and a half. Yeah. I'm with you, I think, and I didn't think I'd be with you, but I think they got a shot to get either Missouri, South Carolina, or surprisingly florida florida until anthony richardson proves he can throw consistently i think that game is perhaps winnable in nashville there's a long time to go between now and there 
And Florida's got enough talent that this could look stupid later. But as we sit here on the morning of what, September the 21st, with Florida just having really, frankly, could have lost a game to a bad South Florida team, had South Florida been able to, to snap and snap and hold a ball well, you know, could have lost that game. I think that game looks a lot more winnable than we would have thought even a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So there's a possibility. I know this is this is really pushing the envelope, but if they can make it out of the Alabama games somewhat healthy with a week off against an Ole Miss team that, quite honestly, I think is going to be overlooking them. Um, you know, I'm sure the coaching staff will tell them no, but you know how kids are. So that's that's the thing. I mean, I think, listen, we don't want to sit here and, and talk about ifs and buts, but let's just let's agree that we're in a much better spot now than we were this time last year. This team is much better. And, you know, the, the goal of bringing Clark in to change the culture but also to get us back to our winning days is on the right track. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance, baby. So, but I know that uh, we need to start off by going back and talking about uh, the press conference in Northern Illinois before we even touch on the possibility of talking about Alabama. Yes, and with that, your thoughts on the game and your thoughts on the press conference, because I know you watch those with great interest and, and have thoughts based on what is said or not said. So fire away, my, my man. Let's hear what you've got. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to start thinking about the things that the coaching staff is actually doing right. Okay, because what I mean by that was, um, and I know it's it's more significant in this northern game than in the Hawaii game. Think about how this team has played in second halves now. As soon as I say that, I, I have to say, okay, remove the Elon game from the equation. I think some mental fatigue set in. I think that those guys played the score. But think about how much better the defense played in the second half against Hawaii and the second half against Northern. Got in the locker room, made some changes, and I think Clark addressed that in the press conference in regards to you know, the players really buying in, the players listening, the players executing. And I think that's, that's a really good sign. And I think that that's where we can't just continue to talk about the players. You know, but we also need to give the coaches credit when credit is due. And I think that, you know, that is the case in the sense of how the defense has been able to make the necessary changes, how those changes have actually impacted the game and helped them win. And I think that, you know, that needs to continue as we move through now. I know I just mentioned Old Miss, but, you know, the next three games, Alabama, Old Miss, Georgia, we're going to have to really sit here and talk about how we want to, want to judge those games. And we'll get to that in a second. But I think that Northern game was a perfect example of what A.J. Swan provides, what he does for that offense. And quite honestly, 
what he provides in a sense of, of a recruiting aspect of how you can, in my opinion, take these games now or all these quarters that he's played. And when you're finding a, a four-star, five-star receiver, send him some of that tape. Of Watch this throw of this guy going from right to left with his right arm throwing across the body and being able to put a ball on the dime, on a dime, on point, score a touchdown. I think now, you know, it totally changes the offense and really opens things up, and it makes things difficult for defenses to really try to predict what's going to happen offensively because now with him back there, it really opens up the offense and allows the offensive coordinator to really almost try anything and everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's A.J. Swan playing like this is a game-changer for the offense. It's it's a game-changer for the, the program. Now, of course, the <laughs> the thing lurking in the background always is the transfer portal, and, and, and you can be sure that there will be some, oh, I don't know, power of suggestion or however you want to put it, uh, plenty of that thrown A.J. Swan's way in the offseason because I, I think people now – Regardless of the way the rest of the season goes, uh, unless it's some disaster, you see the kind of ability that kid's got. No, you really do, and I understand what you're saying in the in the transfer portal. But I think we're at a position now that I I know people that aren't fans of Vanderbilt or people that don't get a chance to watch them are going to make that claim that, you know, he'd be better off jumping in the transfer portal and going somewhere else. I disagree because the one thing that we're going to do moving forward this season, next season, the offense is now going to be built around him. You know, the offense prior to this was built around the running game and you would throw enough or the threat of throwing to kind of open up some of the running lanes, the gaps for, you know, the running backs. But I say now you can flip the script and say, now we're going to run the ball to keep the defense honest. But as soon as they start to jump or predict, or as you heard uh, Clark talk about break containment, then rifle of an arm that can fit the ball in a seam, a guy that can throw over the top, you know, a guy that's got great touch, then they're going to make you pay. So now they can make you pay with the running game because of the efficiency of the running backs and the power that they have in the backfield. But now you have a guy that has an arm that can make you pay if, if you're not disciplined defensively. And I think that that's something that will continue to only get better. And that's what I mean by as, you know, whether it's, I think it's whether you hit the transfer portal regarding tight ends, receivers, that now, hey, maybe I should consider going to Vanderbilt because of this quarterback that can get me the ball. If I've got blinding speed and can get down the field, he's proven that he's got the arm to get it to me. Because I, I still think if you're smart from a college perspective, because Vanderbilt is such a violent, I'm sorry, because football 
is such a violent sport. And because you can, and the same thing for basketball, but more so because of the violent nature of football itself, God forbid you get hurt and you can't fulfill that dream of playing in the NFL. Is there a better place to be than at Vanderbilt with that education and that network as far as being able to just almost guarantee what you can accomplish after your career is over if you're not good enough to make it in the NFL or, God forbid, you get an injury that you're going to be well-served with the Vanderbilt education? A lot of schools can't make that claim. And I think that that's where, you know, if you have the right people around you, you're still going to make intelligent decisions that is in your best interest for both plan A and plan B. Well, speaking of health, the offensive line's keeping quarterbacks a lot healthier than I think we anticipated. Now that is about to get severely tested the next three games with three teams that can really get after the passer. But that's the key. Yeah. I I think Chris, you're exactly right. You know, because you, you go in and you ask yourself, you know, what what is what different aspects is is the coaching staff focusing on? What different aspects is the coaching staff looking for improvement? You know, you can easily say, Well, everywhere. So now you gotta ask yourself, okay, we're going into Alabama. We're talking about Ole Miss. We're talking about Georgia. You know we come out of that that those next three games, also throwing it off weeks, so and we come out of these next four weeks with a healthy A.J. Swan, with healthy uh, running backs, and no significant injuries. And I think that's the biggest question, and that comes to, okay, what kind of blocking schemes can we set up to where, and, and no disrespect to the offensive line. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying though to be disrespectful, but I think we just need to look at the quality of opponent. The, the the NFL caliber players that these guys are about to face. And, you know, the blocking schemes that not only we're throwing in there with the offensive line, but also uh, the running backs that he's going to have to pull in maybe out of the slot just to give him time. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to um, a friend of mine, and he said the good uh, thing to watch for is there should be probably no seven-step seven drops against Alabama. It's just he's not going to have the time. Three steps and out. And in that out means you got to throw it out of bounds, throw it out of bounds. Can't afford to take a sack, period. Can't get greedy. Just... Take your lumps. Occasionally, you're going to get hit. But, you know, we we got to look at the big picture. And that's where, you know, I learned this from Greg Popovich when I played on the San Antonio Spurs team. They went 20 and 62. So think about this. 82 games, 62 is a lot of losses. But Pop kept hammering home, hammering home, hammering home. There are good things that can come out of a loss. You can actually still play well and lose, especially considering two of the next three are the best two teams in college football. I don't think there's any argument about that. So there's, we're going to have to look at these things as little victories. And that's where 
as a fan, it's it's not going to be. Listen, I hope that it's not, but I just I don't think it's going to be pretty. But yet, you got to look at it through some rose-colored glasses on against such good competition. Where are areas, and this will be where the these Tuesday press conferences will be very interesting to see after the coaches have really broken down the film, where do they think that this team made progress? Not on the scoreboard, not in point differential, but where did this team make progress from one week to the next, regardless of the opponent? And I think that's where, going back to this press conference uh, on Tuesday, that he kept saying, and hammering home the idea of this is about us. It's not about our opponent. This is about us. It's not about our opponent because he knows what's coming. So how do they find those little victories that keep players engaged, keep the fans excited, and still keep that hope and dream of and the possibility of winning an SEC game alive? You know, it, it's funny. This is now the flip side portion of, of how he has answered the question about performance. He's talked constantly about being the best they can be. And you know, of course, the subject of matchups against Alabama and expectations are going to come up. And if you come out and say, you know, we expect to beat Alabama, you know, then that's suddenly, you know, material across the country for everybody to laugh at, right? If you come out and say, we got no chance against Alabama and we just hope to keep it close, you got a whole other set of problems. I think the way that he has handled this talking about you know our best performance this is when that talk is really ideal because they're going to be heavy underdogs in the next three games and and by the way Ole Miss has got a really good defense too Ole Miss has allowed 4.3 points a game um so that's that's another one that's (laughs) 4.34 4.3 yes yes okay yes uh so that's another defense shut out Georgia Tech last weekend on the road that's three elite oh, defenses that, in a row. Where, oh, yeah, and that's where, you know, a lot of pressure is on this offensive line. A lot of pressure is on, you know, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback's coach. This is where, you know, if you see, regardless of the score, if you see players pointing at one another, arguing, if you see coaches grabbing players coming off the field, and having what looks like pretty passionate conversations, that means they're making mistakes that they shouldn't make, regardless of the opponent. And that's a problem. That, to me, would be a step backwards. As you just pointed out, this Alabama game, they're 40-and-a-half-point underdogs at the moment. That's a lot of points. And... I just, you're just like, wow, 40 and a half. And that's just where it's, I think it started off at 39 and a half. It's now up to 40 and a half. And who knows what it's going to be by uh, game time on Saturday. But I think that that's where we've got to really stay focused as fans, as analysts, as critics, whatever you want to call it. And just, Kind of, as I said, watch it. I can't repeat this enough. Watch it with rose-colored glasses. 
and figure out are there areas where we're even though let's hypothetically say they lose by 60 even though they lose by 40 50 60 are there actually areas where we saw improvement from the weight game from the northern game but because of the quality of opponent you you can't see it unless somebody points it out to you so that's why I think that the, the press conference after Alabama, after Old Miss, after Georgia will be very enlightening, very awakening, and very informative. Because I think the one thing that Clark has done a nice job of, I don't want to say he's been transparent, because I don't think any coach is really that transparent. But I think he's been pretty upfront, pretty honest with his answers, and done a nice job when he's had to of being politically correct and not necessarily answering the question, but giving you just enough information to where you feel like he's not trying to dodge the answer. Okay. With that, I asked him yesterday about the hierarchy at quarterback. Ken Seals is in an interesting spot because he's not played a game yet. He's got a red shirt available to him. Um, You know, I'm, I'm sure Ken wants to start at quarterback. I, I don't think he's going to be able to do that here. Um, you know, he's not hit the portal. He's still with the team. He still seems to me like he's a really good teammate. Um, I don't think that Mike Wright's departure from the starting lineup was entirely performance-based. It might have been. I don't think he reacted very well to being demoted. Um, I don't think he reacted very well on the sidelines to being demoted in the middle of that weight game. So with that, you heard his answer when I asked him about the quarterback room. What did you make of that? And I'm glad you, and that's really, that was the answer I was referring to as far as being politically correct and giving you just enough information, but not really answering the question, but kind of letting you peek in the door. You know, you had asked him about, you know, you didn't use the word depth chart, but you basically asked him in regards to who's who behind, keyword being behind AJ Swan. And he never really answered the question. He just talked about the strengths and weaknesses of Mike Wright and Ken Seals. And he technically gave you a, a, a truthful answer when he says, well, depending on the opponent, depending on the situation, depending on the defense, depending on how we're being played, I could go either way because of the skill set that each one has. And I think that's a true answer. If Seals is not interested in a red shirt, I see a a situation where all three quarterbacks play against Alabama for different reasons, right? One, obviously, being the score. One, if the game gets out of hand, protecting A.J. Swan. One being, okay, let's give Mike a chance against, you know, because we can talk about Hawaii. We can talk about, you know, Elon. But now, can Mike break off an 80-yard run against Alabama? Can he get around the corner? You know, this, that, and the other, right? All this stuff we can talk about. But that's where you look across the line and you got state three safeties, you got DBs that are they're not as fast as him, but 
they're as good athletically where they have the angles to where he's going to have a hard time getting out, getting to that outside corner. You know, getting to a defender, but also being able to change direction quick enough to where he can't make the proper adjustment. So, it'll, it'll, you know, I think the coaches want to see that. But I also think the coaches, and this is asking a lot of a guy that gets demoted. I've been there, done that. You know, we need you as our leader to not only help AJ, but look around the team. Because they're, they're not watching you. They're not checking out your body language. They're seeing how you're reacting. Not only in practice, but in games. So now he's, he's being tested as a person. He's being tested as a leader. He's being tested as a captain to what he does next. So they're asking a lot of him. And the question is, is he more concerned about himself? Is he more concerned about the team? Because if he's, if he'll put the team first, he's got to be in AJ Swan's ear constantly about, Hey, this is what I saw in the last series. This is what you missed. This is what happened. So we'll have to wait and see. There's still a lot to be determined. And, you got to honestly, you're not wishing any, any ill will on anybody, but you've got to stay ready because, of, as I said, the violent nature of football, you've got to think that there may be some times where AJ's going to get dinged or there's a possibility that they may want to hold him out for whatever reason for a set of plays or a half or something. And if he hasn't been fully engaged in practice, hasn't put in the time, isn't prepared, he'll get exposed. And that's you don't want that to happen, and that's on him. So there's, there's still a lot of unknowns in the season moving forward, and there's still a lot of people watching a lot of different things moving forward. All right, so now. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Let me just back up for one second. I unfortunately was not able to go to the Northern game as I had planned because at my age, I'm starting to realize that I can't necessarily do two things at once. In a way, that that begs a question. Were Were you able to do two things at once before you got this old? <laughs> well, I always felt that I could. I told myself I could. How productive I was is a different story. But that's that's a conversation for another day. But just so everybody knows, the reason why I was not there, I felt like I did a good job of getting the ball rolling. I felt like Kirk Williams and Greg Smith did a nice job of picking up, gave me a wonderful assist 
and they ended up tailgating before the game and had quite a quite a good turnout from not only um, former players but also um, alumni students that uh, migrated towards the tailgate uh, prior to the game. So it, it, things went well. But the reason why I was not in DeKalb was because I was in Atlanta with Barry Goheen, Steve Reese, Barry Booker, and Charlie Dollin. Now, Charlie Dollin may not be a name that people recognize unless you're a former student, but Charlie was the manager of that particular era basketball team. And every year with Barry Goheen being the president of the Atlanta Tip-Off Club, the Atlanta Tip-Off Club is who presents and sponsors the Naismith Trophy for the college male and female player of the year in basketball, along with the high school uh, male and female player of the year. So every year they they have their, their big fundraiser is obviously a golf outing in September in Atlanta. And we've been doing this now for 11 years. And we get together, we have a good time, squeeze in an extra round of golf or two, have a couple dinners, watch uh, college football on Saturdays, NFL on Sundays, you know, the, the official dinner, the silent auction. And we were gathered as a whole and watched the game prior to church in the first half. And then we came back from church and had dinner and tried not to watch the game and then watch the second half off the DVR in Goheen's uh, movie room. But uh, we're quite thrilled of the adjustments and the fact that we were able to, you know, as they say, stay the course and win the game. So that's why I was not in the cow. That's why you didn't see me on TV. That's why, you know, I couldn't make it. But I was still with the Vandy faithful watching the game from afar. Are you ready for the mailbag? Yes, sir. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number six one five eight four six sixty two hundred. See what your rights are and if they can help. All right, we got a bunch of questions here. I don't think I can get to them all. I'm going to combine two into one. These from Godors94 and Ingold. What is the best case scenario in Tuscaloosa, and what do we want to see against Alabama to continue to show progress? Best case scenario is that after the game is over, we beat the spread. And I know that's kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know how to really describe that, but I just, over the years, I've become quite amazed at how close and accurate, for lack of a better word, Vegas is at figuring these things out. And as we do this, it's 40 and a half. So somehow if we can stay below that. But also, just like, for example, against Northern, right? The defense has kind of turned things around. They're digging their heels in the ground. There's, what, a fourth and three? And they call timeout. 
And then we jump off sides and we give them the first down. Those are the type of things that you just can't do. That that takes discipline. And we can't, A, do the, regardless of the stored score, do anything of that nature against Alabama. Um, like I said, it's, it's probably going to take a keen eye, one that I don't have from a football perspective, to really identify maybe some areas where we actually played halfway decent. And I hate, I don't care whether it's special teams, with the punting game, whether it's the field goal kicker, whether it's kickoffs, I don't know. But can we as a defense make some stops? And can we as an offense occasionally move the ball? And that's, I think that's where we have to set our expectations and our limitations. Okay, let's see. The next one, uh, this is from Poor Vandy Fan 615. In the Northern Illinois game, what flipped the switch for the defense in the second half? Maybe they fed off the offense with Swan's great scramble and touchdown pass to Davis, halftime adjustments, etc. How does Vandy prevent that slow start in future games in the hopes they can be competitive? Well, I think that's going to require them staying healthy, continue to get better. I mean, listen, if there's any team in the SEC where the week leading up to games is more important than other teams, it's Vanderbilt. It's preparation. It's discipline. It's sacrifice. You know, you got some guys coming off suspension that are going to help. You got some guys coming off injury, on, you know, on specifically the defensive end that's going to help. But it's again, I just I can't say this enough and I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's just finding those little victories against uh, Alabama, then making the proper adjustments and preparing yourself for old Miss coming in off, in an off week. And then, you know, trying to figure out, OK, back back to the grind against getting ready for Georgia. I mean, these, these next four weeks, because we have a week off, if you're a Vandy fan, you're, you're probably not going to be too happy. Now, if we are happy and, you know, we're, we've kept all three games within the, inside the spread, I think that's a positive because of the fact that, you know, we're getting better. And I think that is the thing. This team is better now than it was last year. That's a step in the right direction. I think that this team has proven that they can, this coaching staff has proven that they can recruit. And with A.J. Swan, it's only going to get better. But it's just keeping these guys engaged, keeping them locked in, keeping them believing in one another. And, you know, trying to find a way to erase the slate every Sunday and start clean on Monday as you get ready for your next opponent. Okay, Ann Arbor asks, you said last week that Vanderbilt had to win convincingly. It didn't, but showed a lot of fight in the comeback, so how do you weigh that? Do either of you revise your outlook on the team based on performance so far of Vanderbilt players expected back from injury slash suspension? 
and other SEC schools on the schedule. Now, we touched on that earlier. That's a little broader question, so um, you've got a little latitude to maybe expand on what you said earlier. Well, you're exactly right. I did say that they needed to win that game convincingly, and they did not. I felt like they got off to a terrible start defensively. Um, I was, quite honestly, I was angry, disappointed that they were down at half. I did not expect them to go three and out and give the ball back to Northern and allow them to score heading into halftime. But I was also, quite honestly, talked off the ledge by a couple people in a text thread that, you know, allow this team to make the necessary adjustments at halftime. And they did just that. So, you know, that kind of pulled me in off the ledge and I jumped back in the window. But it still, in my opinion, was not convincing like I had hoped. And that's where I talk about, you know, it was interesting to listen to Clark talk about in his opening statement at the press conference about how, you know, how pleased he was with uh, the guys, eyes front and center and at, at halftime, you know, not shaking their head, not down, realizing, acknowledging that, hey, we're better than this team. We can't get frustrated, make the necessary adjustments. We're okay. We're not where we should be. We're not where we wanted to be at halftime. But put that behind you. Learn from your mistakes. And I think this was a true learn from your mistakes, especially what you've done in the first half, and don't do them in the second half. And I think that's where, you know, you got to be as a fan, you got to be pleased that they made those corrections. We didn't see that in years past. And was I thrilled about the win? No. Was I happy they won? Yes. But it also, I think, was an indication that there's still a long way to go. And unfortunately, it's Alabama, it's Old Miss, it's Georgia. Yeah, I was asked the question, too. I will say, I think they get an SEC team. I think the three most likely candidates are Missouri, South Carolina, and now Florida. If Anthony Richardson doesn't start playing better, I, I don't know which one they'll beat, but I, I would say I think they can get one against somebody. Now, that's boring. They don't just get um, you know, their morale completely stolen after this upcoming gauntlet of, of three games. And I think having a bye week in there is helpful, but my goodness, um, you just hope you don't see their confidence flattened the way it was last time they played Alabama. Well, and that's where you really, and this is the hard part, because again, I'll I'll go back to, you know, Chris, where I talked about, I played on a Spurs team that went 20 and 62. Now, you played bad enough and got lucky enough to get the number one pick in the draft, and two years later, we won a championship. But I also saw that David Robinson was hurt, and Sean Elliott was hurt, and Chuck Person was hurt. But I, I did not measure myself or measure my teammates on whether we won or lost the game. I measured it on how we played because there were a lot of games that, you know, six minutes, five minutes, four minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we're still within striking distance. We were not winning, but we're only down single digits. That, in a sense, was a moral victory. 
And then they just, you know, they tightened down the screws and they beat us eventually by 12, 14, 16. So if you just saw the score, you're like, ah, it wasn't a game. But yet, during free throws, when you're standing at the line and players have a tendency to talk, you know, your opponent's talking about how hard you're playing, how difficult you made the game that what, that night. You guys actually made us earn this. We thought we were going to roll in here. This game was going to be over at halftime, and then, you know, we were going to get a break. But the starters are mad at the second team guys because they couldn't maintain a lead, or, and the starters had to go back in, and they thought they were going to maybe play, you know, 20 minutes instead of 38 or 40. We were we didn't allow that. So, you know, that's kind of what I mean by moral victories, little victories. And then Greg Popovich would come in the locker room and talk about, okay, this is what we did wrong, but guys, let's start focusing on what we're doing right, and we're getting better. And that's the thing I think that Clark has developed that relationship with this team, that when he looks these guys in the eye after a pretty bad loss, and tells them that they're getting better and what they're doing right, they're not going to be looking at him and go, he's just trying to pump us up. I think they're going to believe it. They're going to buy into it because he's also going to tell them what they did wrong and the corrections they need to make. And then when they watch film, they're also going to see it. And then it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a vivid reminder of one, how much better these players need to get, how much harder they need to practice spend time in the weight room, continue to progress. But also with a reminder of the coaching staff, you know, they got to get better recruits in there to be able to not necessarily beat Alabama, but be able to compete with Alabama. And this is across the board. This is on the players, the coaches, but this is also on Candace. And this is also on Deermeyer to provide them with the necessary resources to do all those things we just talked about. That is a great segue into the next question. Vandy Fitz says, I was reading recently about Alabama's seemingly unlimited analyst staff. Saban seems to rotate a number of former Power 5 coaches slash coordinators slash assistants. Most recently, Derek Dooley, Todd Grantham, and Zach Mettenberger into these off-field roles to spend all year game planning for the season's opponents. Do you think that playing Alabama so early in the season puts Vanderbilt at a big disadvantage besides getting beaten up by Bama's future NFL players? Future opponents undoubtedly benefit from seeing Bama's plan of attack. Well, sometimes it's just you know what a team's plan of attack is. It's just better period. And regardless of what you do, regardless of how many times you watch them play, unless something miraculous happens, you're not going to win. It doesn't mean you don't prepare. It doesn't mean you don't, you know, try to do your best, but I don't think it has anything to do with whether they're playing Alabama, you know, as the fifth game of the season, if it's the 10th game of the season, I like the fact that we're playing them early so we can get them out of the way and in the rearview mirror and then just move on. Now, unfortunately, I, what I, now this is something we've been talking about and I, am, I haven't looked it up, but I think is Auburn the only other school this year that has to play both Alabama and Georgia 
Let's see. Auburn does indeed play both. Georgia's West opponents are Mississippi State and Auburn. So Mississippi State um, would play both. So, yeah, I guess there's, what, three? So there's only three teams in the whole country that will play the number one ranked and the number two ranked, as we're doing this podcast, team in the country. So it's not just Vanderbilt that has to face this gauntlet. It's also, as we just talked about, Mississippi State and Auburn. But that's that's the rules you got to live by by being a member of the SEC. And every coach knows that. And you know that before you take that job, that this type of – this could happen in, in, in any given year. Nobody is looking forward to that. And Clark, thank God he's bald because he's, he's not going to get much sleep the next three weeks. Okay, Woody VU66 says, I know it's only one game, but sometimes you just know when a player has it and Swan does. Do you think he's the best freshman quarterback since and maybe including Jay Cutler? You know, I've had this conversation with a couple former players. And that seems to be the consensus, quite honestly, that you know, because of his arm strength. And I, I, I continue to now applaud his, in my opinion, command of the huddle. And, you know, the, the belief that I think that the teammates have on him in the sense of what he brings to the table. Um, so I guess really the answer to that is at the moment – what we've the little bit of what we've seen, the answer to me is yes. The players, former players that I've talked about, the answer is, you know, wholeheartedly yes. And that's the other thing that I think that we're not talking about is the importance of the quarterback position and the hope that that gives alumni, former players, the excitement that now A.J. Swan has not only brought to this team, but to former players of, of Vanderbilt teams in the past. That That's a great point because I'll be honest, I try to do my best on the podcast. There's always something to talk about, but increasingly for about three years now, it has just seemed almost pointless to talk about Vanderbilt football. And look, they may not win another game the rest of the year. And I don't think my answer here is going to change. There are finally tangible things that you can point to and say, hey, guys, I think better things are coming. And nothing can convince a fan base of that anymore than a freshman quarterback who comes in and – just blows people away right away and I, I think that's what A.J. Swan has done. And then I agree with you. Now, I may not say that he's blown people away. I'm going to use the terminology that he's raised some eyebrows. He's injected some enthusiasm and some excitement into the program. And you know, I think that that's, that sells tickets. 
that that right there is what they call hope. And that sells tickets. And we're honestly talking about the possibility of them, if they stay healthy, if they can get through these next three weeks fairly healthy, of winning an SEC game because of how it opens up the offense, how it energizes the defense. And when have we had not only that discussion, but had that feeling that that's a possibility. So, you know, I think that's, to me, that that's awesome. I mean, I know that that, there's still a lot of work to be done. Let's let's not get past that point. You know, I want to keep keep harping on that. But you know, it's you feel like the bus is pointed forward. It's headed in the right direction. And as they make stops throughout the countryside, people are now getting on the bus instead of just waving at the driver and being like, "No, nope, we're good. No need. Keep on going." All right, last one. This is from Bear80. Give us your memories of Banditos. For those unaware, a bar across the street from Towers in the mid to late 80s. <laughs> this will be good, I bet. Uh, yes. <laughs> so let's, and I'll expand on that, okay? So just to be very specific and transparent, I walked on campus in August of 1983, okay? Banditos did not exist at that time. And I'm just gonna extend the story out. There was a place across the street that no longer exists that before I understood what White Castle was, this was my cat, my White Castle, called Crystal. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. No, no. Crystal still exists, but just not there, right? I don't even know. Does it still exist? I was curious. I think if, it does. If if uh, White Castle put crystals out of business. Anyway, uh, carry on. <laughs> as a college kid on a college budget. Now, think about this. My freshman year, my parents... I think my freshman year, my budget was $75 because my parents said, listen, you're on an athletic scholarship. All three of your meals are included, but yet we still think you need some spending money. So we're going to give you $75. Is that per month or per week? Per month. Per month. Okay. That would seem like a lot, but anyway. Well, it seems like a lot until you you divide it by four. Right. And then you realize that it's not. So there, there was no cost of living check or any of that stuff. I mean, the only thing you did as a, as a student athlete was beg the coaches to let you be a part of recruiting. Weekend when when kids came in because you got free meals, right? Interesting. Because if you if a recruit was coming in and they assigned you that to recruit, that means you got to eat for free Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday before the recruit left. 
because you were constantly entertaining that recruit. So then you got to eat more than just what was offered at the cafeteria. But you got off base a little bit. But occasionally on a weekend, if, you know, you went to a fraternity party or, you know, you're coming back from the library late in the evening and you're still a little hungry and all the cafeterias are closed, and there was no, hey, fill your pockets up on your way back to your room. It was, what do you, what do you do? What's that in your hand? No, no, no. Put that back. So we weren't allowed to take food back to the room, or we weren't supposed to. We made every attempt to try to conceal it in our backpacks or whatever, but occasionally that they, you know, they had people waiting at the door to wand you that somehow identified you had food in your bag. But you may go across the street to Crystal's and grab you a few sliders and then make sure you have enough reading material for the next day. But what they're referring to was a place called Banditos. And I think the Banditos is now Chili's, maybe? I don't even know. But Banditos was basically a place where you could go and get cheap beer. Just as simple as that. I mean, I can't really put it any other way. Try to make, to try to build it up than anything less than it was. Banditos basically was a dive bar that invested no money on the interior. The food was average at best. But the one thing they did, and I don't even know if this exists anymore, but you could buy beers by the pitcher and you could buy a lot of them. So, and that was usually the place where out of the season, because I, I, did, I did not drink during the season, during the early part of the football season before practice started, and then the later part of the school year when basketball was over, you could imbibe in, in beverages, and that was a good place to start because it wouldn't empty your wallet. And occasionally they may give athletes a free beer here or there, or a free pitcher here or there depending on how well your season went. Not not that this but ever happened to you, of course. Oh, absolutely not. As far <laughs> as you know. I mean, you were SEC but, Player uh, of the Year, but I, I doubt they noticed things like that, right? Right. Now, there may have been a, uh, a few repeats of Thornton Mellon. Do you know who that is? I you do not. That character? No, so, sorry. There was a movie called Back to School. Do you remember that? Yeah, I don't think I ever actually saw it, though. Yeah, yeah. Or it's been a while. He sent his son to school, and his name in the movie was Thornton Mellon. And he eventually was trying to help his son graduate by buying his grades, and his son didn't like it, and his son was just the opposite of Thornton Mellon. And eventually... He decided that he was going to go back to school. So, you know, here we are, you know, wild parties, all this stuff. And, of course, he walked into a place and he goes, hey, now, what I want you to do is I want you to bring a pitcher every two minutes until somebody barfs. And then once somebody barfs, then bring a pitcher every five minutes. 
And so it was kind of like he was always the life of the party. He obviously was, you know, had a successful business, but he never went to college. So he decided to prove to his son he's going back to college, blah, blah, blah. But that was one of the scenes from back to school. Will, it is, uh, it's been fun today as always. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to catching up with you. Uh, I don't know if we'll do one next week, or, but at least, if not that, the, the week before the Ole Miss game. Either way, uh, be safe in your travels. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch up with you soon. So Chris, I enjoyed it. I appreciate the, uh, the question about uh, banditos. So as they've started to learn, if they can come up with some creative questions, I will definitely do my best to try to, uh, to answer them and kind of let them peek under the hood about what, what life was like in the 80s and 90s at, uh, well, basically for me, 80s. But I do also know that I used to go back quite a bit when I was younger and uh, enjoy the campus life. And then I eventually got to the point where I'm like, I can't do that anymore. It's just, it's kind of creepy. So. <laughs> Now I just try to act like an adult. And in the meantime, I'll look up where Crystal still exists. I don't think there's any down here in Franklin. Uh, it's been it's been a minute since I've been there. So. <laughs> and uh, your intestines appreciate that. Yes, they do. They sure do. So, Will, thanks a bunch. We'll uh, we'll catch you soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.